The Haunted UK podcast is produced and released in stereo. Listening through an environment such as headphones or stereo speakers will ensure that you get the best experience. If you love the Haunted UK podcast and you'd like to help keep the lights burning, the wheels turning and the stories rolling, then why not consider getting over to coffee and donating to the show? That's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast. You can sign up to donate just £3 per month, the price of a coffee, or as much as you like. If you'd prefer not to subscribe, then any donation to the show will be greatly appreciated. You'll even get a shout-out in an episode of the main show. So that's ko-fi and search for the Haunted UK podcast to donate. Thank you. And here are the names of some amazing people who have donated to the show recently. They are Carol Armstrong, Tardigrade Marmalade, Rebecca Lawler, Cameron Webb, Claire Baker, and last but not least, Nathan Hatton. As well as coffee, you can also follow the Haunted UK podcast on Instagram, Twitter at Haunted UK Pod, and on YouTube. And... We have a website coming very soon, so stay tuned for announcements. Do you love ghost stories? Tales of haunted houses and poltergeist encounters? What about other areas of the paranormal, such as strange creatures, doppelgangers, time slips and even creepy unexplained disappearances? If you do, then you're in the right place. And these are the topics which we'll be visiting every two weeks throughout the many future episodes and seasons of this show. And just to ensure that you get the best experience, there will be no advertisements throughout the main content of this episode. But please stick around to the end of the show, where you'll hear a small promo from one of the many great podcasts out there, which I know you'll want to check out. The script for this episode was kindly proofread and edited by Marie Waller. For more details about this service, email Marie at mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. That's mariewaller.proofreading at gmail.com. This email address will also be in the show notes. Now, without any further delay, let's get this episode started. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. My final experience, and by far the most terrifying and memorable for me in that house, happened the day that we were moving out of the property. The year was 2008. I was eight years old at the time. I was given the task by my mother of going to the very top floor of the house to get a cardboard box that lay at the top of the staircase. Call it survival instinct, or knowing what was in that house already, but I never trusted it. Seeing the stairway was clear, I tentatively took the first steps 
upwards. is episode 40, part 3 of the Haunted UK Podcast's Listener Stories. And it's once again time to be amazed and frightened by your encounters. To say that the first two Listener Stories episodes of Season 4 have been well-liked is an understatement. So without any further delay, let's just crack straight on with this third episode, The Staircase and Other Listener Stories, Part 3. Hi there. I love your podcast. My name is Malcolm. I was born in 1972, on my mum's birthday. So my mum and I were very close. We both were interested in the paranormal and my first brush with the paranormal was when I started working at Worthing Hospital. I was 18 and worked shifts, but I still lived at home in Littlehampton, which was about nine miles away. So I used to get the train to and from Worthing. I was working the 2 till 10 p.m. shift when one of the night gang called in sick. So, I said I would cover the night shift, which was the 10 till 6 shift, as I was off the next day. This was before mobile phones, so I planned to call my parents to let them know that I wouldn't be home. However, the shift got so busy, and we didn't stop until around half past midnight. I thought it would be too late to call home as both my parents would be asleep. When I finished work, I caught the first train back to Littlehampton. So by the time I got home, it was 7am. I went straight to bed. Both of my parents worked, so I had the house to myself until my mum finished work at 2. When she came home, I was in the kitchen. I had just woken up and was making myself a coffee. When my mum came in the kitchen, I apologised straight away for not coming home that night. She looked at me and said, Yes, you did. I saw you last night. Normally, when I finished the 2 till 10 shift, I would pop to my friend's house to have a few drinks, usually getting home by midnight. My mum would then hear me come in and she would join me in the kitchen and we would have a chat for a while. Anyway, she said she heard my keys in the door. And then, as she was going down the stairs, she said I passed her 
and she asked, You okay, love? But I didn't reply and walked straight past her. She saw me go to my bedroom and then she heard me close the door. Next morning, my dad checked on me before he left for work at six, but my bed was already made up. He assumed I'd gone to work as I did the six till two shifts sometimes. At first, my mum did not believe me that I had not come home that night. She was adamant that she had seen me. To be honest, it was all a bit unsettling. I asked her what time she saw me and she said about half past twelve. Mum only finally believed me a few days later when she met my work colleague who worked with me that night and corroborated what I said. My mum sadly passed away in December 2018 and I found it hard to celebrate my birthday because it was also my mum's birthday. On my birthday this year, a Saturday, I had dozed off on my bed in my flat and I woke up. The light of the TV lit the room. The atmosphere had changed and I felt that I wasn't alone. I felt that someone was by my two wardrobes. Feeling cold all of a sudden, I thought maybe the heating had gone off. So I got up and checked the radiator and it was still on. Feeling colder as I passed the wardrobes, I then felt a breeze move behind me. So I ventured into the kitchen for a moment. Spontaneously, I turned back to the bedroom and called out, Mum, if that's you, make a noise. I stood there for 20 seconds. Nothing. I turned around to pour water into my cup when I heard a crashing noise. My Pink Floyd picture was on the floor very near my sofa, which was a few feet away from where it was hanging. It's been on my wall for two years and it's never fallen down. I like to think it was my mum saying that she's still with me. Malcolm. Thank you, Malcolm, for sharing with the show such a moving story. It's clear to me that you have a connection with your mum which crosses spiritual planes and realms, perhaps especially so with your shared birth date. I like to think she wanted to share a cup of tea and a chat with you on your birthday. Perhaps just as you did, subconsciously, when working on your extra-long shift at work. I wonder if this was an example of astral projection. Who knows? It's certainly a unique, beautiful and interesting story to ponder. Thank you again, Malcolm. So now we leave the south shore of Littlehampton and head to the northwest in Stockport, Cheshire, where our listener takes us through the very fine doors of a stately home. Steve, I just thought I would drop you a line with a few of my experiences. About 20 years ago, I took a part-time job working at a stately home in Stockport, Cheshire. It's a house that was originally built in the 1300s. The bulk of the house was Tudor, with additions completed in the Victorian period. It was in the same family for several hundred years. I was employed as a head guide, which meant I held the keys, opened and closed the house, and helped with events and weddings. When I first started working there, 
the older guides used to laugh and ask me if I'd had any experiences. At first, I wasn't sure what they meant. Most of my experiences were fleeting, apart from a couple which I will mention later. Initially, it was problems with lights. You had to lock and unlock the house in a one-way system. I would go all the way round. We would set the alarms and get ready to leave, and then I would see a light on upstairs where I knew it had been turned off. This would happen so frequently that one day I just said, Leave it out. I want to go home. And the light went off. Eventually, it was such a problem that we were told to leave the light on all the time. Another time, I was waiting for my staff. I was totally alone in the house and was waiting in the office watching the CCTV so I could see when people came. Originally, the office building had been bedrooms and was next to a row of other smaller rooms, also originally bedrooms, which we used as conference rooms. All of a sudden, I could hear very clear footsteps. The loud tapping of a woman's heeled boots on a wooden floor. Not only was I alone, but the floors in this part were carpeted. These footsteps walked past the door and down the corridor. I mentioned this to my boss later in the day and she just smiled. She said she often could hear the swish of a woman's dress, like a crinoline, and shoes walking past her on the corridor. We would often get visitors late in the day, most of whom were well behaved. But I once had a visitor arrive really late, as we were closing in fact, and he was very rude when I told him he could only have half an hour, as we would soon be locking up. I let them start going around the house, waited half an hour and followed discreetly, closing and locking the doors and lights. In one room, I locked the door, when the man insisted that I had to reopen it, as he wanted to look at something. Try as I might, the door would not open. He even tried, and it wouldn't move. He walked off in a huff, and the moment he left the room, the bolt slid back, and the door opened by itself. Often, we would come into the house when it had been closed and smell cigar smoke. Sometimes people would say that they could hear music from the chapel. The strangest experiences I had seemed to be connected to my son. We would often get people coming in from the park to ask if a child was lost, as they could see a little boy at the window of the second floor who seemed distressed. When I started working, my son was three and my daughter was just starting to toddle. She learned to walk there, so she was about 15 months. My son used to love it there and would go off running all over the house while I sorted lights and things that needed to be put into place. We would always find him sitting on the stairs at the second floor window and he used to tell us that he was talking to Thomas a little boy who lived in the house. He also used to say that Thomas used to ask where the toys had gone. One of the rooms had once been used as a nursery, but was now a drawing room. My son couldn't have known this at all. He used to see Thomas every day I worked there without fail, but no one else ever did. 
One day I was working alone. I'd been on holiday so hadn't been in for a few weeks. There had been a lot of weddings which we and the guiding team used to feel that the house really didn't like. It was a very, very hot day in July. I went to open one of the Tudor bedrooms when it went very cold and I knew without looking that someone was standing behind me. I could feel breath on the back of my neck. For the first time, I was scared and decided I would just talk. I said, Hi, it's only me. I've been away and the children are not with me today. And instantly, the cold lifted and the room felt sunny, warm and welcoming again. I just think it wanted to check who it was. I loved working there, but was never fully comfortable on my own in the house, especially in the dark. I always used to feel watched, and I used to talk out loud as I went around opening up and closing up. That was why I took my ex-husband and the children with me often, as I felt a little uncomfortable. My children have very fond memories, and my son still talks about Thomas now. Six months after I left, my son was diagnosed with cancer, and I often wonder if that made him more susceptible to these experiences. I also love the latest episode on premonitions, and I have a story to share with you on this topic as well. When I was ten, my mum remarried a guy called Tony, whose wife had died. His parents were very loving and accepted me wholly into their family without question. My mum would often say that my grandma was a bit fey, and that she could see things before they happened. Apparently, my stepdad and his new wife had visited their house for coffee a few months after coming home from their honeymoon. After they left, my grandma apparently turned to my granddad and said, Julie is going to die soon. Julie died six months later of cancer, aged just 24. My grandma always seemed to know things. She told me I was pregnant before I knew, and that my baby would be a boy, and he was. When I was working as a nurse, my granddad became ill and was taken to hospital. I'd taken her to visit him. Suddenly, she insisted that I should take her home. I knew that things were not good and told her that I thought she should stay. She looked at me, smiled and said, Don't you know, Stan, my granddad, is waiting for me at home. He's already there. My granddad passed away as I was driving her home. I would often go and visit her, and she would always tell me things my granddad had said. Touchingly, she kept his chair and everything the same. She would say things like, Your granddad thinks you are working too hard. Or, He's worried that your car needs new tyres. Random things that were always accurate. I could often hear her having a conversation with him. I think the most disturbing thing happened when I was around 13 in the late 1980s. My stepdad was a hairdresser like my grandma, and he worked in the salon that had been hers and was attached to my grandparents' house. He cut the hair of a local family one day and was talking about it over lunch 
telling me they were flying to America for Christmas. My grandma went very quiet and said, It's so sad what will happen. I'm very worried about Mrs. Gandhi. This would be the elderly mother of the family and not her real name. And how she will cope, my grandma continued. We looked at her and she said, They're all going to die, you know. We didn't know what she was talking about. A few days later, we heard that the family had been killed in the Lockerbie plane bombing. My stepdad was really traumatized by it. I always got the feeling she had the second sight. She was known locally for it. Thanks for such a great episode, which reminded me of my grandma and her very strange gift. Best regards, Kelly. What compelling stories, Kelly, and what an extraordinary woman your grandmother was. Her Lockerbie prediction was truly chilling and tragic. Thank you so much for sharing this and your other stories with the show. Hi there. Just listened to the latest listener stories and it's inspired me to share a couple more of my experiences. I've picked these as they both feature ghosts who are pranksters and both feature people having to tell off these naughty ghosts. As before, I would like to be kept anonymous, please. The first experience is when I worked at a tourist attraction that was built on the site of an old coal mine. The focal point of this location was a huge lake that was one of the pits. There was a resident ghost on the site who was affectionately known as Tom. Tom was a prankster, and his favourite trick was to hold onto a particular door in one of the restaurants. Anyone trying to walk through this door was unable to do so. As you pulled down on the handle, there was an opposing force pulling the handle from the other side. The only way to counteract this was to say out loud, Tom, that's enough now, and the handle would loosen, allowing you to open it. Everyone who worked in this restaurant encountered Tom holding onto the door handle, and daily you'd hear people asking him to stop. The man we assumed to be Tom was seen stood motionless on the lake on a number of occasions by both staff and visitors. Another story I have is from a hotel I once worked at. This hotel was a converted farmhouse that had history dating back hundreds of years. One of the guest rooms had a tragic story attached to it. The story goes that many, many years ago, this room was once the bedroom to Bessie. Bessie was one of the previous landowner's daughters, and unfortunately, she had some sort of mental illness. Her father was so ashamed of her, he locked Bessie in her bedroom, where she stayed alone until her death. Another sad fact about Bessie was that she was cruelly known as Bessie the Idiot by all. Bessie took her banishment to her room very seriously and is believed to still occupy this room even in death. We had regular contractors who stayed in the hotel during the week who all had their preferred rooms. One such contractor frequently booked into Bessie's room. During his stay, he and Bessie would play a game. In the evening, he would shut the curtains as he settled down in front of the TV. 
the curtains would still be shut as he went to sleep, but he'd often wake in the night to find them wide open. He'd get up and shut them only for them to be open again in the morning. According to him, he'd even hear the sound of the curtains being pulled along the rails as he settled back into bed. Some nights, this would disturb his sleep so much he'd sternly tell Bessie to stop, and the curtains wouldn't move again that night. There were other guests who stayed in this room who reported that they woke in the night to discover the curtains were wide open, or they'd find the curtains closed after leaving them open. The rooms were cleaned by a team of three women. They had a system where two of the trio would change the bed linen together, whilst the remaining member of the team would go along cleaning the bathrooms. They would then split up individually to clean everything else in the rooms. The only exception to this was Bessie's room. They never went in there individually and always went in together. When questioned about this, they explained they had originally cleaned this room like the rest, but all three of them had individually experienced the curtains close on them whilst cleaning in the bathroom. They were also freaked out by this, that a decision was made never to enter this room alone ever again. I'm not sure if Bessie was ever spotted by anyone, but there was a mystery woman spotted upstairs around the bedrooms on many occasions. The hotel was owned by some brothers and the wife of one brother, Sally, ran reception. The mystery woman was apparently the spitting image of Sally. So, people were often shocked to pass Sally outside the rooms and then see her downstairs on the reception desk moments later. Whether or not Sally's ghostly twin was Bessie or not, I do not know. But most sightings were around Bessie's room, so it's possible it was. I have many more stories that I can share and I will eventually write them out for you. In the meantime, carry on the good work. Let's move straight on to our next listener story. Hi Steve, just thought you'd like to hear this one. Last weekend my brother and I went to visit a friend in London. During the course of the weekend, we told stories and reminisced about our youth as men of our age often do. At dinner on Saturday evening, we began talking about supernatural things, ghosts, astrology, etc. Our friend's wife is a believer in all things unexplained. I told them about my supernatural experiences and this was enjoyed by all, but nothing compared to the absolute bombshell dropped by my brother. We grew up in a house that dates back to about the 1930s. The previous owners were an Italian family, and they lived there from about 1968 to 1981. Anyway, my brother, whose name is Brian, slept in a downstairs bedroom from his late teens until he left home in his early 20s. He told us that one night, he awoke to see an old woman wearing a black shawl standing over him. She was looking right at him, and needless to say, it gave him quite a fright. He said he only saw her once. But that's not the strange thing, though. Our youngest brother, Kev, moved into the same room when Brian left home 
One night, my parents, who have since confirmed this, were woken by a loud screaming downstairs. They didn't know what was going on, but when they went to investigate, they found Kev sitting in his bed, pinned to the wall, and clearly terrified. He said he'd seen an old woman, wearing a black shawl standing over him. Again, he only saw her once. I asked my dad about the family who owned the house before us, and he said the previous owner's elderly mother lived with them until her death, which prompted them to sell the house. I can't believe I hadn't heard that story until last weekend. I sent Kev a message about it, and he said he's still freaked out by the experience. Funny thing, I slept in that room a few times, and nothing happened. All the best, Rob McDee. Our next story has a connection to one of the most frightening supernatural creatures of all, the werewolf. Hi there. I've always felt a strange connection to wolves and ghosts, and generally the supernatural for as long as I can remember, and I have many stories involving them all, but I will tell you the most memorable. I have never told anyone, as I know many people would not believe me. It all started when I was around 13 to 14 years old. I lived in a big house near some woods on a small island in the south of England. It was a cool autumn night, and I walked through my living room to go and get some fresh air in the garden. My garden was long, wide, and had woods with a pond at the bottom. The garden was inhabited by lots of animals and wildlife. However, let me tell you that I'm certain that what I saw that night wasn't any kind of wildlife I've ever seen before. It was something greater, something hard to define. So, I opened the door, stepped outside into the cool air, and took a deep breath. I was stood on the decking upon which I could see the whole garden. However, when I would have normally felt at peace, I instead felt very uneasy. To be more precise, I felt as if something was watching me, and that was when I heard a low-pitched sort of snarl, and I glanced to the left where trees bordered my garden and saw two gleaming yellow eyes. I brushed it off as I thought it could have been a fox or badger. However, the more I tried to ignore it, the more its presence felt stronger. So I looked into the trees again, and it had moved. Not into the trees, but terrifyingly, right in front of me, on the grass in front of my decking. I remember the moon that night. It was bright and full, and the creature was pale and large. A skinny, dog-like creature with bright yellow eyes. It stood on its hind legs like a human and showed its fangs and teeth at me, and once again snarled. Its eyes steadily looked at mine. Then, in a flash of a second, it pounced on me. Its ears were long, pointed, and it had sharp claws which got into my leg. 
I still have a scar to this day. Running to the house, I immediately shut the door, ran up to my bedroom and hid, and didn't look outside until the morning. I don't know what I saw that day, but I've seen what seems to be this creature again and again, and I still see it now. The scary thing is, is that I keep having these strange dreams ever since, about running through the forest which I now live near. I had a very unsettling experience recently. It started after another vivid dream of me running through the woods. I remember it as if it were real. I remember the cold breeze blowing through my hair, my legs hitting the brambles and scratching my hands against the bark, the cold rain hitting my skin. It all felt so very real. So the next day after I woke up, I decided to journey into the woods, where this dream keeps happening. I ventured there with my dog. Keep in mind my dog is a Belgian shepherd who does not scare easily at all, very territorial and protective of me and my family. As I reached the woods it started to rain, hitting my skin rather abrasively, just like in my dream but I brushed this off as deja vu and this horrible ominous feeling I had. As we had bad weather recently, so I ignored it and pushed on through into the entrance of the woods. Straight away, I felt uneasy, as if something was watching me, staring at me, as if... as if I was being stalked, I suppose. My dog, Loki, seemed on edge, as if he was also being watched, his ears up high, pacing around me as if he was looking for something. He was definitely on high alert. However, I kept going despite these signs, but as I got off the path and pushed further into the woods, my dog started barking, into the distance, not aggressively, more scared, unsettled. He then started to whimper, and there it was again, the two yellow eyes peering through the trees. Loki started to cry and whimper and cowered behind my legs. Shaking myself, I put him back on his lead and started to walk towards the exit as fast as my legs could carry me. I didn't want to run, as it reminded me too much of my dream. After what seemed like forever, I made it to the exit and suddenly Loki was back to his happy, normal self, as if nothing had happened. I was shaking and still struggling to get a grip of what I had just seen. The same yellow eyes, fangs, and the same claws. I ran home that day. If you, or anyone, could give any insight into what I saw, it would be most appreciated. I hope you enjoyed my story. Many thanks. Will. An island in the south of England narrows down the location of where this experience took place. So, have you, or anyone that you know, had an experience with a creature similar to the one in this story? If you have, we'd love to hear from you. Let's swiftly move on to our next listener story. Hi, 
I've recently found your podcast on Spotify and have been thoroughly enjoying it on my drive to and from work. It's got me thinking about experiences I've had which I would like to share with you if it's okay. The first started when I was born, so you could say that it is more an encounter that my mum had. We lived above a butcher's shop in the black country and on one occasion, the account I have been told was of a lady looking over into my cot. My mum ran in and grabbed me and ran downstairs. The description she gave to the butcher perfectly described his own mother, who had passed a while beforehand. During big events in my life, my wedding, divorce, and the birth of my children, I've had this overwhelming smell of palmer violets, which cannot be explained. Until one day, my mum said she smelled the same palmer violet scent the day the lady was looking over me. This does not scare or worry me, but it's nice to think that I may have an angel watching over me. The next events happened during an immense period of sadness when my grandmother's passed away. I can recall having very vivid dreams, one sitting on a park bench in Sandwell Valley with my paternal grandmother a few days after she had passed over. She was wearing a red coat, which was familiar, and it was a warm summer's day. I can still feel the sun on my face, even though this was over 15 years ago. The strange thing was, is that her face was covered by a blinding light. From a beautiful brooch that was catching the light, I had never seen the brooch before until a few years later when I got married. My dad presented me with this exact brooch as my something borrowed. Skip forward a few years and I was present during the last few days of my maternal grandmother's life and when she passed away in hospital. Again, a few days passed and I dreamed of her. We were standing at the rear of a set of flats opposite our local hospital and I was asking her to hurry up as we were going to be late. I don't know what for. She replied she couldn't join me yet as she was waiting for someone to meet her and it would be a while but she was happy to hang around. I remember she was wearing a beautiful off-white fur jacket and I asked why I had never seen it before and she told me to ask my mum. She looked healthier than ever, and I felt at peace when I walked away. I told my mum about the dream and the jacket, and my mum quickly left the room only to return with the exact same jacket from my dream. She told me that there had been a debate over who should have it between my mum and her siblings, but she knew it should come to me. For the record, it was faux fur. I have never worn it, but it comforts me to think my nan wanted me to have it. Dreams I can rationale as my own grief, but the brooch and the jacket, I cannot explain. I hope you enjoy reading my experiences. Sarah, West Bromwich Our next story could be considered as a prime candidate for the possibility of the stone tape theory. Hello. I have recently found your podcast and have been enjoying listening to all the stories. I have my own story to tell. 
One day, around 9 or 10 years ago, I was a passenger in a car along with my partner who was driving. We were heading along a busy road in Glasgow, Toll Cross Road, near to Parkhead Cross. This is a hugely historical area with lots of tenement flats and buildings around which are over a hundred years old. As we were driving along, I glanced up and on the opposite side of the road, I saw a dark figure fall in front of the moving bus on the opposite side. The bus had been pulling away from the bus stop. I got a huge fright and instantly put my face in my hands. My heart was racing. My partner was so confused and continued driving, wondering what was wrong with me. I turned to look behind us, and the bus was still driving away in the opposite direction, too. It was at this moment I realized nobody had been knocked over. At least, not that day. But I had definitely seen a dark figure fall onto the road. We continued about our day normally, but in the coming weeks, I couldn't stop thinking about this dark figure I had seen falling onto the road. After finding a local history website, Parkhead History, I stumbled across information of a woman that was in her 20s who had been killed at that section of the road, close to Sorby Street Junction, by a car on the 13th of March 1963. When I read this, I had goosebumps around my body. I did some further digging and found archived copies of Glasgow Herald, the main newspaper at that time. I instantly searched for the 14th of March 1963, which is the day after I read this lady had passed, according to the local history website, and there in black and white on the front page is information about this lady's fatal accident. Her name, Mary Woods, age 25. I believe it was Mary Woods I saw that day, I was in my mid-twenties around this time, and I saw this figure, so this accident would have happened way before I was born in 1987. There is no way I could have known about this fatal accident. Let me know if you read this, and what you think. I have always felt I have spirits around me, even in my childhood. There was always spooky things happening in our house, which was built in the 1930s, my mum was told by a medium that it was child spirits, and they liked being in our house because we were children too, myself and my two sisters, and they were happy there. We just got the impression they did not like it when any decorating was happening in the house, which is when they would make themselves more known. Thanks for reading if you got this far. Pamela, Glasgow so, as stated at the start of this particular story, this could be a prime candidate for the stone tape theory. A figure being hit by a bus over and over again, replaying an event which happened years and years previously. And another aspect which I find particularly interesting is about the spirits of the children making themselves known and seen whenever there was decorating occurring in the house. This happens again and again when alterations are made to houses, homes, stately homes, mansions and even castles. It's as if the spirits just want the buildings left as they are. And so, 
we have arrived at the final destination of our tour of UK and Irish hauntings. And for this, we are walking with some trepidation, it has to be said, through the doors of a house built in the 1920s, where we face the story of The Staircase. Hi there. For context, this story is about my first family home and the several experiences I've had during my early childhood. Thanks for the podcast. I enjoy the listener stories and they have helped me to write this email to you about my own encounters. My encounter begins when my family moved into my first childhood home in the year 2000. My parents had moved from Kent for work and had lived in the house from around eight months before I was born. I'm the oldest of my siblings, and they were excited to be starting this new chapter of their lives. The house itself was a four-story, semi-detached property with a 1920s-style architecture. It had tall ceilings, old wooden floorboards and a grand half-spiral staircase leading between each story in the house. My mum recalls feeling that the house had life or activity to it from the first time she saw it, but that it never felt negative or intent on causing any harm or worry. She herself, being a believer in the spiritual, saw it as a previous energy that some old houses do tend to store. Late into her pregnancy with me, I've been told that she frequently saw a young boy, aged around two or three years old, playing in our garden, running alongside the hedgerow before disappearing before her eyes, once again never feeling threatening or negative. She has also told me that light footsteps could be heard running the staircase as if a small child was being playful. My own experiences in the house didn't start for me until I was three or four years old, but are some of my own earliest memories. I've never told anybody about these events as I've only grown to believe in the paranormal over the last few years. But now being in my mid-twenties, I feel I want to let others hear of them, and to let go of them myself. My bedroom was located on the second floor of the property and was a large open space with a single bed located at the far wall, a wardrobe on the right-hand wall and a double-pane window on the left. I remember it very well, with its dark navy walls and off-grey carpet. The room itself was at the end of a long, narrow corridor that led to the spiral staircase. With no windows or other doors along the corridor, it was very dark even during the height of the day. I would regularly wake in the middle of the night to see a figure standing by the window looking out onto the garden. The figure sometimes looked male and sometimes looked female but always had the same long black cloak on. I don't recall the figure having a bottom half from beyond the torso, almost as though it is floating within this dark mass. The presence of this individual never felt negative or alarming, and if anything, it gave me comfort as though I was being watched over or protected. The last time I remember seeing the figure, I woke up as usual and turned over to face the open space in the room, only to see this figure at the window, but staring directly at me this time. 
I'd never fully seen the face, but being confronted with this floating figure, I woke up immediately and froze in place, not being able to say or do anything. The entire room slowly began to feel darker as the figure floated towards me and held out their hand. At this point, I either passed out or snapped out of whatever trance I was in and slept again as I woke up to a brightly lit room in daylight. I never saw this figure again, but the feeling the final encounter gave me has stuck with me to the present day, and I still feel uneasy sleeping with my back to an open room for this reason. My second experience happened a couple of years later and involved myself and my sister. She's four years younger than me and was the last of my siblings to have lived in the house. At the time of the encounter, I was in the family bathroom located on the third floor. It was one of two rooms on the floor and was only small with a bath and toilet in the room. At the time, my mother, sister and I were all in the bathroom running the bath to prepare to wash my sister. My mother recalls having to leave the bathroom to get washing stuff which was located on the second floor. During this time, myself and my sister were left alone in the room, all being as usual. I remember hearing footsteps coming back up the spiral staircase and into the bathroom and distinctly remember calling out for my mum to stop the bath as the water was getting rather high in the tub. With no response, I turned my head to see nobody there. The next thing I know, the door behind us slams shut. And being an old wooden door, this required some force. My sister was then lifted from the floor and into the bath head first until her whole body was underneath the water and she began to struggle to breathe. I remember my first immediate reaction was to grab my sister and attempt to pull her above the water level, but I was not able at my age to climb over the bath ledge and reach her, leaving me standing and watching hopelessly for what felt like a lifetime. I'm unable to recall what happened the minutes after this incident, but my mother recalls hearing the commotion, running back to the bathroom and bursting through the door to pull my sister out. She insisted that the door felt heavier than usual and that I looked very pale, as though I'd seen a ghost, she said. My final experience, and by far the most terrifying and memorable for me in that house, happened the day that we were moving out of the property. The year was 2008. I was eight years old at the time. I was given the task by my mother of going to the very top floor of the house to get a cardboard box that lay at the top of the staircase. The top floor only housed my father's office at the time, which has only one window at the far end of the room, making it very dark at all times. A light bulb could be found at the top of the stairway, but it couldn't be turned on or off from the bottom entrance to the stairs meaning you had to travel up them in darkness. This was the only staircase in the house with a different design and style to the main spiral stairway and was a straight flight of stairs with approximately 8 or 10 steps. They were noticeably steeper than regular stairs 
requiring the use of a handrail because of this. As I was saying, I had been asked to go and gather a box from the top of the stairwell, and so I began my ascent. I remember always looking up into the darkness before I climbed them. I don't know why, but I always felt uneasy about going up there. Call it survival instinct, or knowing what was in that house already, but I never trusted it. Seeing the stairway was clear, I tentatively took the first steps upwards. Getting towards the top, I started to feel lightheaded. I'll never forget getting to the top, finding the light switch, and turning it on. Stood in front of me was a small boy aged no older than four or five years old, but in a Victorian-style waistcoat and flat cap. His face was grey, and he had a cold presence, and I immediately went frozen. He looked at me, sneering in fact. He had an expression that I've seen no child make. It was threatening and almost malevolent. I hadn't even had a chance to look for the box before he put both hands on my chest and gave a sharp push. I fell backwards down the short flight of stairs and I landed with a heavy thud on the wooden boards at the bottom. As a result of this fall, I fractured a rib, which should give you an idea of just how heavy this push was. I refused to even enter the house again from that point onwards, and have felt forever uneasy with these memories, as I expressed earlier. However, I do believe that this young male spirit has followed me for a number of years since, as I have other stories from my second family home which suggest the boy's presence. For context... This second house was a 17th century listed property, an old coach house and memorial home. I would be happy to share these experiences with you and your audience as well, but for another day. Since becoming an adult and realizing what these experiences could be linked to, I have also decided to conduct some research into the family home to see if it uncovers any more secrets or reasons behind the haunting. Here are my findings. From its construction in the 1920s to around the 1950s, it was an active children's hospital specialising in end-of-life care. Several deaths were recorded at the property, including that of a young boy by the name of William. No last name identified. A nurse was also reported to have died on the property, with a note providing detail that she was found dead on the staircase. From the 1950s to the 1970s, it was a children's orphanage which had a capacity of up to 15 children at any time. Given the four floors, this does not seem stretched or unreasonable. Finally, from the 1970s onwards, it became a family home with four different owners before my parents bought it in the year 1999. As I still live in the same town, I happen to drive past it sometimes, and I still feel uneasy to this day about the happenings and experiences I had in my early childhood there. If you have read this far, then I thank you for doing so not only because it's allowed me to express these feelings and take a weight from my shoulders, but for genuinely believing in my experiences. 
All the best, and thank you, Cameron. And that, I'm afraid, is where we're going to leave this episode. I think you'll all agree that these stories are all extraordinary and at times very, very unsettling and frightening. And if you have any thoughts, theories or similar experiences to any of these stories, then we would love to hear from you. Let us know on Twitter at HauntedUKPod. Include the hashtag HauntedUKPodcast and we could start a conversation going. Alternatively, let us know on Instagram at HauntedUKPodcast. Drop us a message or even a voice note. We'd love hearing your stories and opinions. A massive thank you to everyone who kindly shared their experiences in this episode. It's hugely appreciated, and I'm tremendously grateful. This is the third part of this season's listener stories, and we still have two more episodes to go. So be careful the next time you visit a stately home, or embark on an errand which involves venturing up a flight of third-story stairs. Or be careful if you go outside in the night, for some fresh air, and perhaps, by perchance, catch a glimpse of a pair of glaring yellow eyes. Because the next person to feature in a listener's story episode could be you. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the Haunted UK Podcast. But before I go, I'd like to ask a favour from all of you amazing listeners out there. The show's end-of-season finale revolves around the experiences and stories from listeners just like you. So if you've had an encounter with any element of the paranormal and you'd like to share your story, then I'd love to tell it for you on the Listener Stories finale episodes. Simply type up your story and email it to hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. That's hauntedukpodcast at hotmail.com. And in the subject section of your email, title it Listener Story, so it's easier for me to find. All stories are treated with the utmost respect and privacy, and if you wish to remain anonymous, then that's no problem at all. This podcast is recorded, mixed and mastered at Pink Flamingo Home Studios in Hales Owen in the West Midlands, England. If you'd like to know more about the studio or have any questions, then please get in touch via email at pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. That's pinkflamingo.homestudio at hotmail.com. Or why not follow the studio on Instagram at pinkflamingohomestudio. For a list of all research sources which we found helpful for the writing of this episode, please see the show's notes. Thank you again for listening to and supporting the Haunted UK podcast. So until the next episode, stay safe and take care. But before you go, why not check out the following great podcast. If you like true crime, dark history, the haunted and paranormal, then we think you'll like Ghost Town. Ghost Town is hosted by me, Rebecca Lieb. And me, Jason Horton. We cover both notorious and obscure true crimes. The haunted, paranormal, and unexplained. And the dark history of everything from world events to pop culture. There are new episodes of Ghost Town every Wednesday and Friday. Find out for yourself what Vulture.com called essential listening and one listener called a total waste of time.
So pause the podcast you're listening to right now. And go subscribe to Ghost Town for free on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And at ghosttownpod.com.